Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, July 28th. We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. We asked Dr. Janney his opinion on the new trend of rising coronavirus cases in our city and across the province. And as always, the doctor answers COVID-19 questions as sent in by you, the listener. Even with forest fires raging in Alberta and B.C., there's still plenty of concern surrounding the mountain pine beetle. We speak with a mountain pine beetle researcher on what level of concern is this year when it comes to the pesky insect and what's being done to battle the invasive pest. Next, it's great news for the organizers of the Calgary Pride Festival and Parade. We speak with the Director of Organizational Change at Calgary Pride about the significance of their new sponsorship deal with TD Bank. And finally, is your cell phone listening to you even when you're not using it? We catch up with tech expert Mark Saltzman for details on how our devices are tracking us and why we should be concerned. Throughout the pandemic, we have had the opportunity to catch up with Dr. Craig Janney, the Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. The doctor has been gracious enough to answer questions as sent in by you. 403-974-8255. He joins us once again. Good morning to you, Dr. Janney. Good morning. I am... You know, I'm going to get right to the point, uh, which obviously we're going to get to the questions of some of the listeners. But Stampede, you put a cap mm-hmm. on that on the 18th of July. Now here we are 10 days later at the end of Stampede, the 28th of July. And the cases over the past handful of days have gone up. Nothing like the 2,000 plus new cases a day we were witness to, you know, a couple short months ago. But noticeably from the past couple of weeks, can we... Can we or can we not say that this is because of Stampede when you see that Calgary's leading the charge of these new cases? Yeah, I'm not sure if we can point the figure, finger directly at Stampede. What we do know is that when people gather in large groups without a mask, without physical distancing, the virus will spread. So you know, the, the, we have seen viral spread at Stampede that was reported yesterday. Uh, low numbers, which is good news. You know, not, a, not a massive outbreak directly linked, but Again, most of our cases or half of our cases are untraceable. So there may have been additional cases uh, at the actual stampede. But there were other activities around the city that that were maybe stampede-related, breakfasts, uh, office parties, things of that nature. Also could have viral spread there. And uh, unfortunately, cases are going up. So it, it is from people gathering. We talk a lot about the positivity rate, number of tests versus how many cases. That gives us the positivity rate. But I'm wondering if, if you can help us with two things here, Dr. Mm-hmm. Janney. Explain the R value and explain where we are with the R value right now, because I believe we're at the highest we've seen throughout the pandemic. Is that right? That is correct. And that's probably the number that I'm most concerned about. The daily cases, as you indicate, uh, you know, do fluctuate. That percentage fluctuates depending on how many tests were done today. And those fluctuate a lot more when numbers are small. Because you can imagine an additional handful of cases will make a percentage go up dramatically when numbers are small. That R value, though, is really a measure of how fast the virus is spreading. So an R value of 1.5 would say that each person that's infected will go on to infect another one and a half other people on average. So when we're seeing numbers this high, as you said, this is the highest we've seen yet. This is truly reflective of exponential growth. That's where those curves start going straight up. 
and where 100 cases quickly become five, 600 cases in a matter of only a couple of weeks. So that's the concerning number. We need, to, we need to get that number back down and hope right now that that is an anomaly and not a predictor of, of what the next several weeks are going to be here in Alberta. Okay, well, I'll try to word this. I'm not sure if this is too cloudy for you, but the way I'm presenting it, the R value being highest as it's been throughout the duration of the pandemic is one thing. Uh, but if we have that very high R value as of, you know, July 2021 versus if we had it in January or December, since we've had so many people vaccinated, uh, will it have the impact that, that R value would have had months ago? That's a great question. What we don't know, so we do know that that R value will still lead to the, the, the rate of infection we've previously seen or even faster. A, a bigger R value simply means more people are going to be infected faster. What we don't know is, will that remain connected to hospitalizations? So if vaccines are, are in those group of people that are, for example, having a breakthrough infection, we would expect hospitaliz- hospitalizations to be down. But what we are hearing from Alberta Health is that the vast majority of new infections are still in non-vaccinated people. Mm-hmm. And as we saw in wave, wave three, although vaccinating the older Albertans really helped prevent death, we still had a lot of people under the age of 60 in the intensive care unit. So there is a risk that with about 35% of the province not vaccinated, we will see hospitalization start to go up again. Yeah. You know, good question uh, that came in from Doug. Doug says he's a senior. He's had two shots. Should he consider getting a third as a booster? Is, is this something that people should do on their own? Or uh, do we wait until the government suggests a third shot for that booster? not under other underlying health conditions such as immunosuppression or, or something of that nature that weakens the immune system. I've not seen evidence yet that, that would indicate we need a booster right now simply because a patient is older. These mRNA vaccines in particular are really good. We've still seen strong, strong immunity over a year out. It does begin to, to fade and I think this is one thing that Pfizer identified that a booster can bring that immunity back up. But we lose a little bit of perspective. That fading immunity is still more than enough to fight off the infection. So, uh, you know, a booster eventually down the road may help. Right now, there's not an urgent need for it unless there's some other medical condition that would severely weaken the immune system. All right. This next one comes in from Dennis. And Dennis says, this is a question for my granddaughter. She is 11, 12 in February. So in other words, she's 11 now. February of next year will be 12. She's going into junior high in September, and most of the kids have all been vaccinated. Uh, they've, uh, he's emailed and called AHS with no response to her getting vaccinated. So, And I guess that just depends on a, a child's age, uh, depending on the grade they're going into. Her classmates are 12, have had the shot. Do you think she'll be at, at a disadvantage not having a shot being 11? Yeah, these are the tough ones. Uh, We've got close family friends in the same situation. The good news is if most of your class is vaccinated, that is that kind of herd immunity we're looking for. So if most of the people you're associating with are vaccinated, that'll help provide a bit of a bubble. Don't forget, there's no problem additionally wearing a mask for your own personal health if needed. But we do anticipate uh, the, the vaccines being approved for the ages 5 to 11, hopefully early fall, mid-fall. So there may be a vaccine option shortly after school starts for these groups. And, and you know, we're excited to, to try and get the last of our, our cohorts uh, protected so that, that they can have the same freedom that we have. And do we know exactly where we're at with the, the trials on, on kids when it comes to the vaccinations under the age of 12? Yeah, so, so those are ongoing. We're anticipating results being submitted to Health Canada uh, early September, hopefully. 
and then they'll go through the, the full review. So I, I think people, uh, you know, tend to forget that, that we get trial results in. It can take several weeks afterwards because Health Canada will go through all of the records, all of the adverse events, if there were any, and any of the breakthrough infections to determine how well the vaccine worked in that age group. So we don't want to rush that process. We want to ensure that it gets through and, and that whatever decision is made is the right and safe decision for the kids. Dr. Jenny, uh, we have to take a quick break for traffic. Can you hold on for a couple more minutes? Sure thing. Dr. Jenny, uh, we really want to talk to you because the cases are on the rise, but I also want to talk to you about the current situation, a lot of questions that people have. And it seems to me, whether it's family, friends, or coworkers, and, and I'm wondering if you can uh, clarify something for me. A lot of friends and family are saying, hey, I'm going to be traveling to see elderly relatives, either my, my parents or my grandparents. Everybody in our house has our two doses of the vaccine and, uh, you know, the elderly relatives have their two doses. But I want to, you know, really lay low for a couple of weeks before I travel. Is that necessary? For example, if me and my wife are double vaxxed and we're going to visit grandma and grandpa in, in B.C. and they're vaxxed. Yeah, so, so that's actually the ideal situation, right? If everybody's double vaxxed, then, you know, that, that's as safe as you can be. The idea of laying low, you know, I think it adds a, a layer of mental comfort, which may not be necessary. I think the, the simplest recommendation is to avoid sort of a high-risk situation. So you might not have to lay low for two weeks, but I'd probably avoid going to a large indoor party mm-hmm. where, where there is that risk. We do unfortunately get breakthrough infections, and in particular, this Delta variant does seem to be able to break through but also continue to spread. The good news is with all of the variants, including Delta, if people are double vaccinated, the risk of severe disease, the risk of hospitalization is reduced by more than 90%. So that is giving us that level of protection we need to go about our, our sort of our daily activities again. It won't guarantee you don't get infected, but if, it, if you do, the symptoms are mild and, and the risk of severe disease is almost eliminated. Almost eliminated. Okay, good stuff. So don't go to that huge house party. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, you can still go about your daily activities, but you know, maybe avoid the, those super high-risk situations where, you know, just... Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess uh, uh, eliminate the, 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 the biggest risk factors, but other than that, you know, go about and enjoy the, the ability to go see those grandparents. Live your life. This might have a, a similar, you know, thing when you mentioned the variants. Rick sends in, uh, why was it a year ago that they said when we reach herd immunity, 60 to 70 percent, uh, that's where we'd need to be. But now there's a big push to have everybody vaccinated to 100 percent. What happened to herd immunity? Yeah, that, that is a Great question, and and nothing directly happened to herd immunity. What happened was the virus changed. So herd immunity is a measure of how well we spread the virus, but also how well the virus itself spreads. And if we look at the original coronavirus we were dealing with in in 2000, most of that year, uh, we saw the emergence uh, in, in early 2021 of the Alpha variant or the UK variant, that was about one and a half times more infectious than the original. And now the Delta variant is one and a half times more infectious to almost two times more infectious than the Alpha variant. So the virus has become very good at spreading. And because of that, it needs a higher level of, of protection in the community to stop the spread from an infected person to a non-infected person. Basically what happens for herd immunity is the, the idea of, of somebody who has the virus coming in contact with somebody without the virus uh, goes down if, if a lot of people are vaccinated. We need a higher level of vaccine if that virus is more infectious. So unfortunately as the virus became better, 
herd immunity had to rise to, to be able to beat that new version of the virus. All right, I think we can squeeze in one more here. Uh, here is the question. If we have a family get-together and everybody has both shots except one person, should that person have to wear a mask? Truly, who is really in danger here? If we're all fully vaccinated, would we benefit from forcing that person to wear a mask even? So there the, the, the risk is to the unvaccinated person. Uh, again, the the unvaccinated person could bring the virus to this gathering and spread it perhaps to vaccinated people. As we're saying with the Delta variant, it can break through with the double vaxxed uh, people. The risk of severe disease in those people that are fully vaccinated dramatically reduced. So the, they may get sick, but they're not going to be sick enough to go to the hospital. The risk, though, is, is again, with the Delta variant, it can infect people that are double vaccinated, which means the other people of the party can pass that on to the unvaccinated person. So in this case, yes, it, it, it's best to have that person and even the other people wear a mask if you've got a mixed population Thanks. of vaccinated and non-vaccinated. At that point, the recommendations are still to mask up. Thanks for some clarity there. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. You've done it again, Dr. Jenny. You're welcome. Take care, Andy. You too. That's Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Fires are doing plenty of damages, uh, damage rather this summer across Western Canada. But once the fires are out, will we still have to deal with the mountain pine beetle? Well, U of A researcher Dr. Janice Cook has just picked up some funding from the feds and uh, is going to have some help, hopefully, uh, battling the beetle. And all things mountain beetles, we're joined now by Dr. Cook. Thank you for taking the time. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Let's let's talk about this because, uh, you, you know, these fires that we're seeing, what sort of an impact will they have on these uh, pine, uh, mountain pine beetles? Well, we know that trees that have been killed by mountain pine beetle become excellent places for fires to really take hold. Mm -hmm. Those red dead needles become tinder dry. Those um, big trunks that got attacked by the beetle get filled with resin and all of those dead trees in the standing together in those stands just become um, much more susceptible to fire. And so we've seen that in past years in big fire seasons in BC where fires that happened in areas that had sustained a lot of mountain pine beetle damage, they just burned with huge ferocity. So it is a concern, and I know that for several decision makers that are in charge of our forest, they, they are also concerned about this kind of calamity. Yeah, when we talk about the mountain pine beetles themselves, with less trees, less habitat, does this lessen the issue with the mountain pine beetle, or do they just move on to the next uh, wooded area? Well, right now we still have plenty of pine inventory on Alberta's landscape that is at risk of mountain pine beetle outbreak. So even though we've had so much area that has already been infected with mountain pine beetle, there's still lots of pine out on the landscape. If any of your um, listeners have been um, down the eastern slopes, for example, they know they can visualize those wide tracks of pine. And so mountain pine beetle is moving from areas where it has historically been into these areas where we don't have a record of them being before. And even more 
of a concern are the populations that are building in the north part of the province because those populations, if they can build up enough and we get those sneaky trade winds, Mm -hmm. then those beetles could move even further east into the boreal forest and continue that relentless path eastward. You've been, uh, I want to get to this before I let you go, you've been awarded funding from the Natural Resources Canada. Uh, what will that uh, money help fund, and, and what, are you, what are you doing as far as research and, and pushing the cause forward? Yes, we've received funding from Genome Canada, Natural Resources. Um, we've been very fortunate to partner with a number of provinces, and so we're looking at two things. We're looking at how do you better predict the risk to forests that haven't been yet attacked by mountain pine beetles so that you are in a better place to protect those forests by controlling the beetle that's on the ground. Mm -hmm. And we're also starting to turn our attention to how do you put in place resilient forests after mountain pine beetles have been through an area, after it's killed those pines and you're thinking about regenerating those forests, what can you do to uh, improve the resiliency of those trees for the next mountain pine beetle outbreak because there will be a next one. Well, let's let's talk uh, briefly before I let you go here about to talk over the past several years about eradicating the beetles. Is that even a possibility or is it just strictly uh, what we can do to control this issue? I think um, once mountain pine beetle moved into the province of Alberta, I think that decision makers um, had a realistic picture that there was no eradication that was likely. But what we could do is slow the spread. And if we can slow the spread, eventually we will have a set of conditions where the mountain pine beetle populations will subside enough that they're just really small and they're just um, scraping for a living in our forest. We call that the endemic level. So they're there, but they're not doing damage. They're only really uh, attacking those weak, vulnerable trees that are on their way out anyways. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're hoping to get to. But as your listeners know, it's been 15 long years that we've been battling mountain pine beetle here in the province of Alberta, it's been two decades since this current outbreak started, and yet that fizzling out of populations is not in sight yet. So it still takes an extraordinary amount of time, money, human resources in order to control those populations to really slow the spread. Maybe not eradicate the beetle, but to slow it down to the point where we can hope for those populations to crash. Fingers crossed and a tip of the hat for all the work you do, Dr. Cook. We appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Have a great day. You too. This is Dr. Janice Cook, mountain pine beetle researcher from the Faculty of Science and Biological Sciences, University of Alberta. The Calgary Pride Parade and Festival will be funded for the next three years thanks to a new sponsorship deal with TD Bank. This is good news for Calgary Pride and their Director of Organizational Change, Hasina Juma, joins us this morning. Good morning, Hasina. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. We'll get to your relationship with TD Bank in a second and some good news. Uh, But I want to know, coming off uh, what was a virtual Pride Week last year, it's going to be reimagined this year as Big Pride, that's the title of it. What's it going to look like? 
This year, we're excited to offer a blended program of online and virtual program online and in-person programming. One of our biggest events this year is doing a drive-in theatre program from September the 1st to 5th at mm-hmm. TELUS Spark. And then we are also asking local businesses to help celebrate pride in their communities by hosting events or selling products or services with a fundraising component in exchange. And the last component that we have is we will be having some online subject-specific um, events that will be happening as well during the week. All right. As, as mentioned off the beginning here, Asena, TD Bank has stepped up to sponsor events this year. And actually, it's, it's a three-year deal. Tell us about the significance of having a, a, a multi-year deal and what the money will help pay for. We're over the moon to have a three-year presenting partnership agreement. Not only does it help to fund the festival, but it also helps to fund our year-round programming. And as we know, the, the needs of the 2S LGBTQ plus community are there all year round and having the opportunity to have programs that we can do throughout the year that target the continuing and the evolving needs of our gender and sexually diverse communities is pretty incredible. It brings us a lot of stability as well for the organization. Let's talk about, you know, a a sponsorship fitting Calgary Pride, the organization and the events how important is it to find a company, an organization with, with shared values? Tell, talk about that for a minute, Hasina. It's really important that when we're looking at partnerships that we, we engage in partnerships that are win-win partnerships. So we want to make sure that the values of respect, of collaboration, of community building, of equity, of empathy are all there in, in, in our partnership. And we also want to make sure that the the partner that we're engaging with is also doing work to advance um, the work that needs to be done related to the gender and sexually diverse communities. And when we look at TD, TD not only has it in their values, but it also has it in their own programming and how they are moving the dial of diversity and inclusion in their own way. And coming together is a really win-win partnership because it brings us stability. And then it gives us this exchange where we can help TD as well to move the dial in a way that's mutually beneficial for everyone. Well, congratulations on the new uh, sponsorship and uh, the update on, on what's to come. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Hasina Juma, Director of Organizational Change at Calgary Pride. All the details you need to know about Calgary Pride at calgarypride.ca. Targeted ads on social media. Love them or do you hate them? There's pros and cons to both, but the host of Tech Impact, Mark Saltzman, says he's concerned over how much info social media platforms collect about their users and how they collect it. Joining us this morning to discuss is Mark Saltzman, host of Tech Impact. Good morning to you, Mark. Hey, good morning, Andy. Good to chat with you. Good to have you back on the program. So our smartphones and social media platforms, you know, we do see, for example, if I'm searching up lumber, I start to see ads for Home Depot on my Facebook, yep. oddly enough. So when we say listen to us, what do we mean by that, Mark? Yeah, so you're definitely uh, right that uh, not only are social media platforms like Facebook building a profile about you, you know, as assessing approximately your, your age, your gender, where you live, um, you know, the, your interests, but you're also allowing, unless, you know, Apple, to their credit, recently gave us the choice to not be tracked, you're also being tracked based on your Google search history, you know, where, what websites and apps you've accessed before and after that social media visit. We, we blindly consent 
into all of this. And again, only recently do I think a lot of Canadians realize uh, how much we've been giving away the farm, you know, by, by allowing it. And, and as you hinted at, and we'll get to the listening part in a moment, because uh, this is something I get asked all the time. But, you know, it is, it is sort of a catch-22. On one hand, you know you're going to get ads. I mean, somebody, there, there, are, there are tens of thousands of people working at Facebook that need to be paid. So obviously advertising is the key revenue stream there. So they want to target things that are relevant to you. If you did not search for uh, lumber at Home Depot, and good luck to you, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're maybe like, not the best example. <laughs> my gosh, four times or whatever than it was, uh, you know, 18 months ago. Anyhow, that aside... Uh, it, it obviously wants to dish up things that are relevant. So, like, I play this game called Words with Friends. It's like, um, it's, it's like Scrabble, right? Mm-hmm. And I opted not to be tracked. Now I'm getting ads for diapers, and my kids are 19, 19, and 17. <laughs> so unless they want to advertise Depends, which maybe I'm <laughs> getting into that stage, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a waste. So you're going to get advertising whether you like it or not. It, the argument is, do you want it relevant to you? Well, then, then the, there's the thing, Mark. It, to a certain extent, sometimes I find it helpful. I'm looking for yeah. a new pair of shorts, and the Gap shows up, and maybe Old Navy, and I right. get some great suggestions. But I guess it, you can't really have one without the other, can That's you? That's right. You, it, it has to be within your comfort level. You know, you can be, you can opt not to be tracked. Uh, you can even use uh, what's called a VPN or a virtual private network that masks your online identity when you're when you're on the internet. You can make it look like you're from the U.S., for example, and you're going to see a whole other batch of ads for from stores maybe that we don't have. But the the big question, Andy, that I get all the time is: Are phones listening? There is a microphone built mm-hmm. into every single smartphone, and you know people say it's just too much of a coincidence to be talking about. I don't know, a lawnmower, uh, and then I, I sit down and, uh, or I open up a social media app or whatever and I see an ad for a lawnmower, that's just too coincidental. But the, the short answer is no, they're not listening. Um, the uh, ESET, which is a leading cybersecurity company, has done several tests, along with other, uh, let's call them more mainstream publications like uh, Consumer Reports, and they have found that it is not listening. So, first of all, uh, ESET, well, this is all published, by the way, all the results are published at welivesecurity.com. But the first thing they did was talk about specific things like high heels, um, building a pool, and, and all that to see if it can trick the, you know, if it can force the, the phone to dish up ads that uh, tied to what they were talking about. And instead, they saw advertisements tied to skateboards, cough medicine, and VW cars. Uh, the second batch of experiments consisted of, uh, you know, talking about specific things on purpose in front of the phone. Uh, uh, there was one group that had microphones off, so they purposely had the, the microphones off, and the other group had them on, and there was no difference in the kinds of ads that they saw. And then also from a technical standpoint, you know, ESET shared some interesting data with me. Let's say, you're, let's say we're awake about 17 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Even if we only are near our phones three hours a day, which is probably a very conservative number, um, if it captured audio and uploaded it to a company like Facebook or Instagram or what have you, that's about 430 megabytes of data. Ooh. With, let's say, 800 million people on Instagram, you know, and there's well over that uh, on Facebook, we're talking about more data than what the Internet can basically handle, you know, by, by constantly uploading all of this so it can listen and analyze and then dish relevant ads. So the short answer is no. While it seems way too coincidental that you've talked about something uh, that you don't usually talk about and then see ads, it's just that you notice the ad. 
that, you know, it just, it, it happens to be, uh, when it comes to the microphone recording, that okay. is not true. Okay, so we know, uh, you know, not listening, but we're separating the two tracking when, again, I search yes. a Colgate uh, toothpaste and then all of a sudden I got toothbrush ads or teeth whitening ads. When it comes to that type of tracking, can we protect ourselves? Can we really, besides, you know, uh, going and say, okay, I'm not going to use my phone anymore. I'm going straight landline, which nobody's going to do. What can we do to not be tracked per se? Yeah, so one thing is, and, and again, kudos to Apple for introducing a couple of months ago, the option not to be tracked. You'll see a pop-up whenever you open up an app that says, allow app to track your activity across other companies' apps and websites, and you could say no. So if you went to Domino's and ordered a pizza, then you're not going to see, in all likelihood, an ad for a pizza uh, on Facebook. So you can opt not to be tracked. There's, it's a little bit more difficult on an Android device, but you can go into settings and, and, and make sure that you're not being in, tracked in that respect. The second thing you could also stop doing is oversharing on social media. You know, if you keep uploading photos of, uh, of pizza and other food, you know, then, um, you know, the algorithm, the, the tech behind the scenes thinks that you may want to see more. Mm-hmm. And if you comment on a lot of food-related things, just to stick with that example, you will see more ads tied to food because, again, it's trying to assess your interest. So stop commenting. Um, you can um, go and clean out your history if you want. You can audit old posts and even delete them. Um, and, and one last tip for those traveling this summer is try to resist sharing uh, photos and, and, and face bragging, as they call it, when you're away from home. You're, you're essentially advertising that your, your home is empty. <laughs> you know, Good I know it's point. tempting. You wanna, and we're all, you know, chomping at the bit to get out after the last 17 months we've just endured. But um, it's always recommended if you do want to share your vacation pics and videos to do it after you've returned. Safety as well. So, yeah, you've covered a lot of ground here, Mark, and I think it's super timely because, yeah, we're going to be online, and there are some dangers. There are some benefits as well. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Andy. Have a great day. You as well. That is Mark Saltzman, host of Tech Impact. You can find out all about Mark, and he has some reviews for a different tech at Mark, and that's with a C-M-A-R-C, Saltzman.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.